Turn to the book of Acts. Thank God and thank God. I'm going to turn to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Everybody said, praise the, Lord. praise the Lord. All right. I'm very happy to be right here this morning. We want to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right. Acts chapter 5, beginning with verse 29. Acts 5 and 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God, or the Spirit, exalted with his right hand, or his authority and power, to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. Everybody said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right. I uh, would very much like to minister to you this morning on the power of obedience. You may be seated. The Lord bless you. The trouble started in heaven, of course, because Satan was disobedient to God and sought to exalt himself above God's throne. He sought to push God aside, cast him down, and that he would be God. Lucifer would be God. That's what he, his grand scheme was. And, of course, it did not work out that way, as you know. But unfortunately for us, uh, Satan, him becoming, Lucifer becoming Satan, and the serpent and the dragon, and the uh, angel or the messenger of destruction, the Bible teaches that in being thrust out of heaven, by Michael and his angels, that he, as Jesus later referencing back, he said he beheld Satan fall as lightning to the earth. And the Bible teaches, of course, that uh, he began to go to work, Satan did, and he projected his voice through the serpent. The serpent was a subtle beast in the earth, and he began to work through him. And, of course, it all began with Eve's disobedience. In her disobedience, then sin came upon everybody. And they found themselves, Adam and Eve, in some very uh, grave circumstances. But your Bible teaches, of course, that God, in His great love and wisdom, He did make a future. He didn't let it be that there would never be anything beyond this, except that God said, I'm going to more or less stretch out my hand because my arm is not short and my ear is not dull, and I'm going to reach. I'm going to, it's been said that there, there's no valley too low and there's no mountain too high. There's no place that God can't reach. There's nobody outside of the realm of God's love and unless they just, through unbelief, choose to put themselves outside of His reach. But God's very willing. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that God is 
ready to pardon. Isn't that a wonderful thing? You, you, you want to know that God is just setting ready here to pardon. He wants to give forgiveness of sins. So much so that God being a spirit and invisible, uh, and no man has seen him at any time, neither can see him, yet he, he chose to show himself in the flesh. He chose to robe himself in a fleshly garment, if you please, in a tabernacle or a temple known as this body. And where that came from was when he spoke the word over, again, an obedient person, a willing person, and that was Mary. And when he did that, then she brought forth that flesh, that visible, that people could see. And that would be the one that the angel said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's the book of Matthew chapter 1, and you should read that. And once you get past a little bit of the genealogy, and then you'll find that that's what your Bible tells you. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Then also that which was conceived in Mary was of the Spirit of the Lord, his Holy Spirit. And that's the only kind of spirit he is. That's one of his main, if you please, adjectives that describes him. He's not just spirit, but he's a Holy Spirit. And so in coming visibly, that's why your Bible said in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word that was God was made flesh and dwelt among us. And so that was Mary bringing forth that babe, and that was the Word made flesh. That's why 1 Timothy 3.16 tells you that God, who is a spirit, was manifest or clearly shown and demonstrated in the flesh. And so here we have now this babe, and this babe begins to grow in grace and knowledge to the point that this baby now has come to a time when his showing to all Israel, the, 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 the country and the people, where he was at at that time. And the scripture teaches that he began to go about doing good, healing all that were sick and oppressed of the devil. And as he went about in this earthly ministry, in this visible manifestation of the Spirit robed in flesh, that it pleased the, the Spirit of the living God to dwell in that body to the fullness, and that in him dwelled the fullness of the very God bodily. And so as he went about, as I said, to do good, he didn't come to do bad, he came to do good. He came to help people in their dilemmas and in their problems. And the Bible begins to teach us over and over throughout the scriptures that there is, as it is written, uh, obedience is better than sacrifice. There were those that were hung up under the law, and they were hung up under the old type of sacrifice. But all of that was a shadow and a type. All of that was a preview of that which was to come because he became the ultimate sacrifice, that body, that flesh, that was prepared, and he would give his life on the cross. He said, no man would take this from me, but that I would give it. So he gave that, that body on the cross as the sacrifice. The Spirit withdrew from that body when he was stretched out on the cross, and then three days later, after, he buried, after that body was buried, Joseph of Arimathea did come, and he begged the body from Pilate. Pilate gave it to him, and the women came and prepared him for the burial. They buried him. So now he has died, he has been buried. And now, the third day, the Bible teaches the same 
spirit, the fullness of the very God that withdrew from that body on the cross, then that same spirit re-entered that body three days later, and he arose again from the dead. Hence, he said, I have power to lay my life down, and I have power to raise it up again. And so he did. They couldn't understand when he told them that if you destroy this temple, meaning this body, he said that in three days I will raise it up. Thinking naturally, they began to go thinking all wrong directions and were thinking about a, a building that was built with block and, and whatever other mortar and materials that they used, and that's all they could think about. But you know, Jesus was talking about the spiritual. Jesus was talking to them about this body. We always want to keep the Word of, the word of God and the work of God at heart and in the uppermost part of our mind. The Bible teaches now that Jesus has arisen from the dead. He begins to show himself alive with many infallible proofs. He begins to show to his disciples, above 500 of them, that he is truly alive, that as he had foretold and said, that he would rise again from the dead. The Spirit was not going to leave that body in the grave and to suffer corruption. It was not going to happen. He was going to come out of that grave, and so he did. And as he showed himself alive with many infallible proofs, then he began to bring them to last-minute instructions before he would then ascend up into heaven, and they would no longer see that visible manifestation that is now glorified. He, they weren't going to see that now because the heavens were going to retain him until the restitution of all things. So here we have, we have him giving last-minute instructions, even coming in the midst of them and giving them talk and instructions and encouragement, and then he vanishes out of their sight because he was in a glorified body, helping you to get a little glimpse and a little insight, for we do look through a glass darkly, but helping us to have a little insight into what it's going to be like to have a, a new body, to have that tabernacle that is, not made, that is made in the heavens without hands, and that we should earnestly groan to be clothed upon with that. We want to really want to be in that first resurrection. If I'm going to be in that first resurrection, then I'm going to have to back up here just a little minute and take a look at the book, and I'm going to have to receive the instructions of the word of the Lord. Because I, you and I are flesh and blood, and the Bible said flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The things that are natural and fleshly and carnal, those ways and those thoughts are never going to be able to grasp much less to come to a place of experience and to get what they need and to make heaven their home. So we've got to realize that the kingdom of God, according to Romans 14 and 17, has told us the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It is not natural things. It is not carnal things. But it is. What is the kingdom of God? He said it is righteousness, it is peace, and it is joy in the Holy Ghost, in His Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom of God is. And we have an opportunity here for Matthew 6 and 33 told us all to seek ye first the kingdom of God, that righteousness, that peace, and that joy in the Holy Ghost. Seek that first. Begin to put everything else behind you. Begin to put everything else at the bottom rung of the priority ladder and realize the natural uh, priority of life is no longer to be your list. You want to tell yourself that my priorities are always to be spiritual. I need to put God first. I need to get His mind. I need to get 
his thinking. How can I begin to do that? You begin to listen and look into and read the Word of God. You begin to submit yourself to chapter and verse. You begin to get that subject matter and you tell, I want, dear God, what you have and I want to be obedient. And so the disciples made it clear when they became obedient, watched above 380 people walk away from them, going in a completely different direction. But the about 120 suffering the humility and the indignant voices and looks of people who walked away from them, they went right down to the letter of what Jesus said to do. Jesus said to go and begin to realize that repentance and remission of sins would be preached in His name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. They were only a half a mile to a mile at the most from Jerusalem. Jesus is telling them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Go receive the Holy Ghost. That's what you need to do. And, that, and you remember that you're witnesses of the things I've said to you. And that the, you can get the promise of the Spirit which has been promised to you. Now go to Jerusalem. Go to the upper room. And there begin to do what I've taught you to do. Begin to praise. Begin to worship. Begin to lift your hearts with your hands. And call on the name above every name. Call upon the name of Jesus Christ. And so they did. And seven days later, the Bible teaches there came a sound from heaven. Rushing mighty wind filled all the house where they were sitting. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They all began to speak with other tongues or languages as the Spirit gave them the utterance. You cannot do this on your own. I could have Spanish people stand up and speak Spanish to you, but that would be them doing it on their own from their natural knowledge. I could have others stand up and speak in French Creole or French, and they would be doing it of their own knowledge and their own ability. That and receiving the Holy Ghost, two very different things. When you get the Holy Ghost, it's because you're believing the chapter and the verse and the Word of God, and you're being obedient to it. And in so doing and doing, believing in your heart, showing God a believing heart, I believe what you say, I repent. I believe what you say. I am going to be baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm believing what you're saying. And as you do that, then that believing heart welcomes the Holy Ghost. God gives the Holy Ghost to them that obey Him. And as you've obeyed Him in repentance, you've obeyed Him in water baptism in Jesus' name, then you will be obeying Him and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost sent into your heart, crying. And He will come into your heart and you will begin to speak forth in another language as He gives the ability to do that. It will not be your natural self. It will not be you speaking in that other language or tongue with your own knowledge. That's natural, and that is not what the Bible is talking about. They were all from the same neck of the woods, if you please, in the upper room. Behold, are not all these Galileans? They were all, like saying, all Belgladians or something. They were all there, or all Americans, or something like that. But in other words, they all had one language, basically, in their lives. And here they are now speaking forth, and we do hear them speak the wonderful works of God. Every one of them speaking a different language or a different tongue, because God gave that ability. God did that through them. And many people do not always acknowledge when God is working through someone for his own glory and he does it for his own glory it's not for the person he's working through it is for the glory of God everything we do we want to do unto the praise of his glory now here we've got a man in the Old Testament and his name is 
Balak. And Balak is uh, a Moabite. The Moabites have a long history of being the enemy of God's church, God's people. And they were certainly from a very bad beginning. And so the king at that time was Balak. And Balak says, uh, I, need, I need to get rid of these people. I need to, I, I've got to do them some hurt and some harm here. And so he set about to do that. And he heard of a guy by the name of Balaam. And Balaam was a guy that the Lord was, had used and was using. And so uh, he sends some of his people over, em, uh, emissaries and ambassadors, if you please, and sends them over to Balaam and says, uh, Balaam, we brought you presents. We brought you gifts. My, the king of Moab wants you to come and wants you to curse a certain people. And so uh, Balaam took a good look at all of the riches, that he, the money, the bribes, everything he was being offered, and he thought he would do it, but he, he at least had enough experience about him that he said, well, I'll tell you what. I need to talk to God about this, so uh, I'll get back to you on that. And so uh, he talked to God about it, and the Lord told him not to go. And uh, he said, well, he said, I'll tell you. He said, I, um, okay, but wow, I really like that Ferrari they were offering me and, and those big 30-inch wheels and, and, I, and, the, and the, the system that was all bumped up with all the extra amplifier and power in there. And I tell you, Lord, I... They, they had a lot of gold there and a lot of silver and a lot of jewelry and a lot of things. It, it was looking pretty good. Matter of fact, it was very tempting. And I'd really like to go, Lord. And uh, the Lord flatly refused him and told him not to go. Well, this went back and forth because the enemy didn't give up. Balak sent back more and more. He sent more uh, influential people. And he sent more gifts and, uh, in an attempt to get Balaam to come. And so finally the bottom line came that, that Balaam, Balaam went ahead and went. And uh, finally the Lord, he knew what Balaam, of course, was going to do. And so God stayed in control of everything. And God just simply said, all right, you, uh, you go ahead and go. He said, but you don't speak anything but what the word I put in your mouth. And so he went, old Balaam went. And he got on his donkey, which is a type of the preacher, the beast of burden, that always was faithful to him and told him how it was and, took him where he needed to go and leading him and everything and uh, just that beast of burden and the Bible of course teaches that uh, on the way that uh, they got between two big rocks if you please uh, cliffs and, and sheer walls and, and the path was a little bit on the narrow side and, and, the, and the, uh, the donkey got his eyes opened he got an eye opening experience and he realized that, that there was an angel there and he had a drawn sword and so uh, he, he began to, to uh, hesitate and he began to try to hold back and, and the uh, uh, fella got all upset, you know, old Mr. Uh, Balaam, he got upset and he uh, began to give the, the animal a hard time, the beast of burden a hard time. And the scripture teaches that finally uh, it came to a place to where there was a, a bend and it was exceedingly narrow and there was no way to go right or left. It was very narrow and the there was the angel with the sword drawn. And the Bible teaches that that beast of burden just, if you please, fell on his face. He just flopped down flat.